Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Good evening, Coach Roberts. Well, hello. How are you this evening? I am doing very well, thank you. We had a surprise visit from Jacob and baby Ellie-Ann this evening, so that was nice. She's developing quite the personality. (laughs) That she is. Just a little bit on the wild side. (laughs) Yeah, she was doing donuts in her little little tykes sports coop today and I was terrified when she was doing them while I was watching her and I was holding onto the car and then I noticed she was doing them on your watch and you were standing about five to ten feet away so then I was really scared. They need to put a seat belt in the little tight car. (laughs) Or a lock on the door. Airbags. And she definitely needs a helmet in the car if she's going to continue with the rough riding donuts. Yeah. Is she 20 months now? She is. And it's, she's already living on the wild side. She is living on the wild side. She loves to roughhouse just a little bit. She also likes to offer me a piece of food and then yank it away when I open my mouth. And then she laughs hysterically. I wonder where she learned such a trick. <laughs> I don't know, but she is related to her dad. Mm. <laughs> and I noticed today... That any time you were looking at your phone, she was right over there in your face trying to get your attention. Yes. (laughs) And I love that. Yep. She wants to spend time with her granddaddy. She does. So how are your legs doing? Well, fine. Why do you ask? Well, you're recovering from the Boston Marathon. Yep. Um, A little bit over a week into the recovery process, and I decided I was going to take a full two weeks off from running and just give my body a break but after a week and a day I got a little bit anxious so I decided I was going to go for a run yesterday morning and I maybe ran 30 to 40 seconds and I could just still tell my quads weren't 100% so I quickly changed my mode of operation and did a three mile walk instead and then today I just planned to walk and I did a four mile walk today. That's a big walk. It takes a lot longer for me to walk four miles than it takes for me to run four miles. I believe that. But I'm going to tell you, these last two days, I wish I could just package them up and open them up in the dead of winter and have this beautiful upper 60s, lower 70s, no humidity. It's just a beautiful couple of days. Well, when I've been running with Jacob at five o'clock in the morning, I've had a sock cap and gloves on. It's getting cold in the mornings, but pleasant in the afternoon. Yeah, and I've had a little bit of difficulty sleeping at night, so I have slept in the last couple of mornings, so, which is funny. I think if I wake up and it's six or 6.30, I've really slept in because we're just so used to getting up at four or 4.30 in the morning. Yeah. But I feel much more rested now. 
What'd you think about that movie we went to see last night? Well, I was kind of expecting it to be like an entertainment movie, but instead it was more of an informational documentary type movie. But I found it to be extremely eye-opening. Yeah, it was called The Ends of the Earth. It was a documentary about Mission Aviation Fellowship. And the Moody Institute. And the Moody Institute. And it was about missionaries flying into these remote Indonesian villages that I didn't even know existed anymore. Very primitive people, but just hungry for the Lord and uh, doing all they can do to create a runway so the planes can get there, so they can be taught. Amazing. Right, so Mission Aviation Fellowship has a big operation that's located in Indonesia. And without these airplanes, it takes three or four days to get from village to village just because of the terrain between the villages. But as the crow flies, so they say, it's a 15-minute plane ride. Yeah, so MAF is able to provide Bibles and teaching, but also they can help with medical assistance and uh, building more sturdy structures and just other things to help the people survive in the wild. Right, and what I thought was really cool was that the people native to the villages were the ones learning the Bible and preparing the teachings and then teaching each other. And the people in the village were the ones motivated to want these other Indonesian village teachers flown into their village, and so they would labor and labor to get the runway prepared and in good enough shape so that a plane could land. So once they think the runway is okay, Mission Aviation will find someone who has a helicopter, and the helicopter lands, and then they survey the land and let the villagers know what else has to be done to the runway. The runway has to be safe for the airplane to land and take off. Anyway, it was just really eye-opening, and one of the key points that I got out of the movie was that we are all on the mission field, whether we are in Indonesia or in Kentucky, whether we're a pastor or a coach, whatever we are doing, wherever the Lord has placed us, we have an obligation to share the good news because everybody needs to hear it. I was impressed particularly by one of the missionary stories. He has an autoimmune disease that requires medical treatment. And in Indonesia, there's not ready access to the treatment he needs. And so his doctors in the U.S. have actually encouraged him to stay in the United States. But he and his wife have decided that life on this earth is just so short and that if they can make an eternal difference, even if it shortens his life a little bit, he thinks that's his calling and time well spent. Yeah, it was a very interesting and eye-opening movie. It was. Do you feel like we're called to some remote village somewhere? I don't know. I think right now we're called to live for Him, live for the Lord, and be open about our faith, and be open with others, and 
especially even with coaching our athletes, we want to make sure that they know that's the most important goal. Yeah. Yeah. There's a mission field right in front of us every day, but some people are called to these really remote places. If we're called to a really remote place, I hope Bethany and Jacob and Shelby and Ellie get called to the same place. (laughs) That would be nice. We are so blessed to have our family all in the same town. We are. That doesn't happen very often anymore. Changing subjects. I'm pretty excited about what's going on this weekend. You are? Yes. Ironman California is going on this weekend. And the pro field looks to be exciting. Headlines are on Jan Fredino, Gustav Eden, and a surprise entry of Lionel Sanders. We thought Lionel had retired for the season, but he just likes racing. He can't help himself. He can't help it. So I'm anxious for the Ironman Now coverage on Facebook to watch that. And hopefully it'll be a contest, but... I just kind of feel like Jan Ferdino is going to do what Jan Ferdino does and leave everybody behind. Yeah, I feel like every time we make predictions of the podium, first, second, third, on the men's and women's side, we're never right. So I think there's a lot to you. never know what you're going to get on race day. Yeah, and this is Gustav Eden's first full distance event. So even though he's the world champion at 70.3, what can he do at the full distance? I don't know because that marathon at the end is a completely different beast than the half marathon. It is. So it's going to be interesting. Are you going to watch it? I mean, I will ebb and flow with watching it. I will not sit and watch the entire thing just because I can't sit that long. Yeah, it'll likely take me several days of watching it. I may have to... Spend a little time on the bicycle this weekend. Catch a couple hours of it. I noticed that bicycle had a little dust on it, so it might be time for you to hop back on it anyway. You've been doing a pretty big run block focus right now. Yeah, I've just been happy to be healthy running and enjoying some quality time with Jacob. But yes, I do have plans to get back to the pool and back on the bike. Yeah, so our two children that we raised we really have three children now since jacob married our beautiful daughter-in-law but our two children that we raised we also coached them as athletes and i think what's going on in their lives kind of show the opposite end of the spectrum that all of our athletes are somewhere along the spectrum in that jacob is on the success end where he's expecting to get a huge PR at his upcoming race and he's just had a very healthy training block and we're just praying that that continues for him and then Bethany has also been training well training very strong but she is fighting an injury that we don't want to make worse so we're putting the reins back on her just a little bit so we're just praying that she can run healthy and continue on that path but it's just always a journey that ebbs and flows. Getting better athletically is never linear. No, and there are just a lot of opportunities in endurance sports to develop an injury. It just comes with the territory, and you work through it, and you're patient. You're thankful for the days that you can do what you love to do. Let's get into today's podcast topic. Okay. 
I would like to interview you on your first Boston Marathon experience. Okay. It's actually my second Boston Marathon medal, but it was my first experience to actually get to run in Boston. Since 2020 became virtual, I did go ahead and compete in the virtual race. But yes, last Monday was my first trip by foot from Hopkinton to Boston. Yes, and quite an amazing journey over several years. So back in 2013, you and I were running the Indianapolis Monumental Marathon, going for your first BQ time. And that didn't go as expected. You ended up with some pain and made it to the finish line. And the next day we found out you had a broken femur. So from that point, you may have thought that your running career was over. And I, I believe the doctor said, maybe someday you'd be able to do a 10K again. Right. This break did happen in Indianapolis, which was good because we had a surgeon I'll call him Dr. Z just because his last name was very long and very difficult to pronounce. And I think he even introduced himself to us as Dr. Z. He evidently was there that Sunday operating on one of the professional football players, one of the Colts. So he stuck around and put me back together. And the first time I met him, he was just coming in to say, hey, I'm about to take you back to surgery. And so the first thing I asked him was, will this heal without surgery? Do I have to have surgery? And his reply was, your femur's laying up on your pelvis. Like, yes, <laughs> you have to have surgery. And then the second thing I asked him, you remember the second thing I asked him? I don't. I asked him if he could put me back together in such a way that I could run again. And he said he'd do his best. And with God's help, he did his best. And you have healed as good as before. Yeah, so this happened in November of 2013, and when I came back to Owensboro, I was treated and cared for by a local surgeon, Dr. Reed Wilson, and at the time, he suggested that maybe I think about 10Ks instead of marathons, but as he continued to work with me, three years later in December 2016, he released me to go ahead and start upping my distance. So in 2017, that's when I did Ironman Louisville. Go bigger, stay home. (laughs) You're not one to start off small. So, and I had a friend who wanted to do Ironman Louisville as well. So I was game. It worked out nicely. Yeah. So then I was in great shape coming off of that in October of 17. So we signed up for a marathon in April of 2018 and in that race I qualified for Boston and I can't remember exactly I think I had a three minute something cushion whatever I had it wasn't enough I would have needed four minutes and 52 seconds under that year in order to get into Boston 2019 so while I had a qualifying time I did not gain entrance yeah and let's pause a minute and let's talk about this particular race okay So at this race in 2018, the Cheap Marathon in Salisbury, Massachusetts, you were getting close to the finish, and I ran a little bit of it with you, cheering you on, and you were about a quarter mile from the finish line, and you just stopped. (laughs) 
and you were on pace to get a BQ time. It wasn't as fast as you were hoping for, but your toes apparently locked up and your mind was not thinking clearly. And I said, what are you doing? (laughs) There's the finish line. And you took off. I sort of took off. I hobbled to the finish line. My toes were actually cramped up and curled underneath my foot. But hey, I crossed the finish line. And yes, I was trying to get BQ minus five or better. I ended up with BQ minus three something, as we mentioned earlier. And that's awesome. Yep. And I can remember, too, of course, you and Bethany made fun of me for this afterward, but this was a six-loop course. And I said, if I can just stay strong through that fifth loop, then mentally that sixth loop's going to be a piece of cake. Did that work out for you? It did not. (laughs) But I qualified, and I was actually able to register for the first time. But it didn't work out. So then the next marathon I did was actually out in Washington in Snoqualmie. And Bethany, our daughter, and a friend of ours, Suzanne, and I ran that race. And we finished well ahead of pace with, I can't even remember the cushion now, but it was pretty good. Registered, got into Boston 2020. And I think we've talked about this before on a podcast Obviously, Boston 2020 didn't happen in Boston, but then I registered again and actually was able to run the October, the only October Boston Marathon, which happened to be the 125th running of the Boston Marathon. Before we get into the 125th Boston Marathon, let's go back to snow quality a minute. Okay. So you break your femur in one race, your toes lock up in another at the finish of the race in Snoqualmie, you were running a very strong pace at the finish, but you were leaning heavy to the side, and I'm not sure you were thinking clearly again. What was going through your mind finishing that race? I was just excited to finish because I knew by my watch I was well under pace and did well, and I kept trying to tuck in behind Bethany and say, let me just follow your stride, follow your stride. And she wouldn't let me. She wanted to keep an eye on me, which I didn't know why, but evidently I was leaning to the left a little bit, but... Enough that it was noticeable. Yeah, which I probably wouldn't have believed anyone except for I saw the video. It's, you know, it's it's a convincing lean, but my body was tired. I was giving it all I had. It's frightening for a husband to see his wife running like that. I was leaving it all out there. You are one tough cookie. (laughs) So, the 125th Boston. At first, your time did not qualify for Boston, but then you signed up for the virtual for the second year in a row, and you got some good news in your email. Yeah, so this year, I think I had a 643 cushion, and this year with the reduced field and... As an aside note, between 2019 and 2020, they tightened the standards and made the qualifying times five minutes harder to obtain. So my six-something cushion would have been an 11-something cushion. So I thought, all right, I'm golden. I'm going to get into 2021. Well, then they reduced the field size just because they wanted to mitigate any possibility of creating a super spreader event. So they reduced the field size from 
31,000 to 20,000, which reduced the qualifying field from about 24,000 to about 16,000. Leaving the remaining slots for charities? Yes. So my 640-something cushion was not good enough for the 747 cutoff, which was okay because we had a friend who was going to do Moab, the 240 Ultra. So you and I discussed it and decided that I would go ahead and sign up for the virtual just to support Boston while they're struggling, I guess. I don't know. And that I would fly out to Moab and would just not really run a marathon, but do the 26.2 miles consecutively in a day and be out there to support a friend doing an ultra. So then about five weeks, maybe six weeks before the Boston Marathon, before October 11th, evidently they weren't able to to use all of their charity slots. And so everyone who had a qualifying time registered, didn't get in, but went ahead and did the virtual to support Boston. I guess they figured that was a group of people who were training. They sent us an email inviting us to run. And I thought, well, I can't do that because I've already committed to helping at Moab. I went ahead and registered just in case. You told me just in case something happened and our friend ended up not going to Moab, that would be my plan B. Yeah, and I had said, you need to go to Boston because you're in. You've been working for this for a long time and I will go out to Moab and support our friend. And I said no, but I was going to go to Moab. Well, then about... Three weeks before Boston, I talked with his wife about it, and she was more insistent than you were and more convincing than you were, saying, you need to go experience Boston. You've worked on this a long time. So with three weeks out, I decided, hmm, I hear Boston's a hilly course. (laughs) So There's a few hills. Where we live, there's a nice little greenway that's perfectly flat. And that's where I do all my training. I I would say that's where I do 90% of my training just because it's convenient and it's close and I know the routes and you know where I am if I'm running alone. You don't worry about me. So three weeks before the race, now I'm going to Boston and I talked with Bethany and she agreed to go to Boston with me and be my cheerleader that day. So I started venturing out a little bit and did a few hilly routes And when I say hilly routes, I went up and down a hill a time or two, a couple times a week. I was not trained up for any marathon just because I was just going to do the virtual and run walk the 26.2 miles in Moab, like at elevation with terrain. So I wasn't really worried about it. I wouldn't say I was really Boston trained. You bought some trail shoes, didn't you? I bought trail shoes, not for Boston. No, for Moab. I did. For Moab, I did. They're still sitting in the closet. Maybe someday. Maybe. So you go to Boston. Where do we want to start? Do you want to start when you're getting on the bus to go to Hopkinton, or do you want to start at the start of the race? I guess I'll start with getting on the bus, because (laughs) did you know that they also use buses for gear check? Hmm. (laughs) I seem to remember that from when I was at Boston a number of years ago. Right, so Bethany and I get off the subway and we see the buses and we part ways because I think these are the buses 
to take me out to Hopkinton. And my bus time was 9.15 and it was 9.05. And I'm like, well, this is perfect. Of course, in hindsight, there were no crowds and lines to get on the buses. But I just thought, wow, they really are good at this social distancing thing. So then I went to get on the bus that had my bib number on it. And they were like, mm, we really haven't been that specific <laughs> with our buses. But bus loading's about three quarters of a mile in that direction. And they point. So needless to say, I was late getting on a bus. But I didn't worry about it. So I got on the bus and just relaxed. And eventually got to Hopkinton. And it could have. I heard later that there were buses that got lost and that there were people on the bus for an hour and a half. So maybe me being in the wrong place helped me avoid getting on the buses that took an hour and a half for what took our bus driver 40, 45 minutes. Yeah, because I know for me, race morning, I am hydrating really well. I would not want to be trapped on a bus for an hour and a half. Yes. So in the past, my understanding from you doing Boston and from our friend Kelly and some others doing Boston, evidently what has happened in the past is they bus everyone out to Hopkinton and everyone is out there before the race start. And so some people sit out there a good two or three hours before they actually start. Well, in this case, I didn't show up until nine o'clock took the bus out there and then you just walked and you were right it was a good three quarters of a mile to get from where they dropped us off to the starting line and I will say I have never seen so many porta potties in one location in all my life I mean it must have been at least at least a quarter mile u-shape of porta potties on the perimeter and then on the interior was another bank of porta potties facing both directions. And so most people went right, I went left. There were no lines where I went, but the porta potty <laughs> had still been well used. You. <laughs> <laughs> and they also had, not that I paid much attention to it, but evidently they had behind the curtain a bank of urinals and the curtain was not very close so there were a bunch of guys behind this curtain that I just tried to ignore. I've never heard of that before. Well I wish I never had either. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good idea though. Way to get the uh, issues taken care of quickly. Well it's also a way to avoid stinky porta potties if you don't have to do anything stinky. <laughs> mm-hmm. So anyway i Use the restroom and then continue walking toward the starting line. And it was odd to me, in point-to-point races I've done before, gear check has been at the starting line. And then your gear is transported to the finish line. Well, anything you took to the starting line that you weren't planning on racing in became donations. And there were just tons of people out there with bags for donated clothing. So... Some shelter got some pretty good donations, and there were creative people. There were people who wore nice robes to donate. There were people who wore nice house shoes to donate. Bethany was making fun of me because I wore some gray sweatpants with blue stripes on them that I bought maybe when I was in my 20s, and then I was wearing a a black zipper jacket that was a nice jacket. So somebody hopefully is enjoying that clothing. Stay warm. Yeah. So at the starting line, 
Did you notice the little church at the starting line? I did. It seems like to me that that little church was where the pro athletes would hang out before they came out and got on the starting line and took off. Yeah, there was also a sign off to the right saying, it looks like a sign that's there all the time, saying that that's where the Boston Marathon starts or something. So, I don't know. Didn't hang out there long, just walked down and, like, there was no fanfare. There was no national anthem or it was just like, all right, (laughs) there's the little pad that reads your chip. You better go. (laughs) What do you think about the road in Hopkinton that you started on? Well, first of all, I thought it was cool that they had three or four blue lines painted down the middle. So I thought, hmm, I wonder if that's the tangent. Maybe I'll just run this blue line the whole race. But it didn't last very long, maybe a mile at most. What do you think it was there for? Just for looks. I don't think it was a tangent, that's for sure. But the road was really downhill at the start. I don't know if that's what you're asking or not. Yes, and it's somewhat narrow compared to roads that you had run in other marathons. I mean, you might notice that in a traditional start, but when you have an entire road and it's you're just walking down and starting, it didn't seem particularly narrow, but okay. it probably would if there were corral and wave starts. Yeah, so the staggered start worked out well for that. Right. So I had done a bunch of research on the Boston Marathon, and I knew that the first 10K was downhill, and that you needed to be very conservative during that part of the race, or you could really trash your quads. I was going to trash my quads regardless because I hadn't been running any hills, but I was. I was running extremely conservatively, and I will say, I think a lot of people have in mind you're going to go downhill for six miles. Well, it's really not the case. You start going downhill, but then it's rolling up and down, up and down with larger descents than ascents. And so it is a net downhill, but it's a rolling first six miles. So sometimes I would look at my watch and I was going 10 or 15 seconds faster than goal pace. And sometimes I'd look at my watch and I was going five to 10 seconds slower than goal pace. And I just realized it was the up and down. But I was mostly going by feel. I wasn't prepared physically or mentally to really race Boston just because of the late entry. But I was enjoying it and I was keeping it easy. And then I just settled into it. I was running well, I think. Felt good. Do you remember going through the various towns along the course? I do. So the first town would have been Ashland and then Framingham and then... Natick, if that's how you pronounce it. And if I remember correctly, of course, with each town, the crowd support was really amazing and the signs were funny. But I think the first town that really stuck out to me is really into it was around mile 10, which was Natick. And there was a sign there that said, run like your mom just called you by your first and middle name. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I could hear Paula Beth. So it made me want to run faster, I'm going to tell you. Oh, yeah. That's a pretty good sign. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. And then you approached Wellesley. I did. And Wellesley is about the halfway point. And so quite a few things to say about that. First of all, a good half mile before I got to Wellesley, I could hear 
the screaming. They call it the scream tunnel, but I mean, you could just hear the roar of it from at least a half mile out. Then when you got there, it was pretty amazing. And they had made a ton of signs and I had submitted, there was a link where you could submit a sign. So I had submitted something about RYR Endurance Team and listed our athletes who were running, who were also running in Boston. And I was kind of looking to the side, trying to see the sign, but I never saw the sign. There were a bunch of signs and a bunch of screaming. There wasn't any of the traditional infamous what you hear about all the kissing and stuff i think that was kind of banned due to the covid it's probably not a good idea any year but it was loud yeah well that's certainly part of the experience the hearing the cheers from a long way off and then i was at the halfway point and at this point i was going super conservatively i wasn't worried about pace and i looked down and i was right on what would have been a goal pace had I been training. And so I thought, well, okay, and I feel great. So I'm just going to keep going conservatively. And then when I get past the infamous Newton Hills, I'm going to start racing. I'm going to kick it in. So you had told me that eventually, I think you said around mile 16, I would make a right at the fire station and head into the Newton Hills. It's closer to 18, but yeah. Okay. So I start going up this pretty substantial climb and I'm thinking how did I miss the fire station and how did I miss the right hand turn well no this was the pre-Newton hill so there's a legit hill before you turn right at the fire station and then once you turn right you know you hear about heartbreak hill and it seems like every hill that I ascended I could hear people yelling about heartbreak hill so I'm thinking well Maybe that hill before the right-hand turn counts as one of the four hills. It didn't. No. So, and actually, Heartbreak Hill does not stand out to me as any better or any worse than the other four hills. I did hear a spectator yell, You're almost out of Newton. I'm thinking, okay, is that like when you're at mile 10 and they say you're almost done? Or am I really on Heartbreak Hill? So, I think... I wasn't convinced I'd been up Heartbreak Hill until I actually saw the sit-go sign. I'm like, okay, I'm past Heartbreak Hill and my heart's not broken. But at this point, it's really kind of too late to kick it in. But I thought, well, looked at my watch and I was at, I guess, mile 23. I'm like, I'm going to kick it in. Well, then my quads let me know I had not trained on heels. So my pace continued to gradually slow, but... I'm proud of myself for a couple things. The first is I did not overextend myself because I knew I was untrained. But then number two is I did not walk a single step. I mean, I probably passed 20 people on each hill. There were so many people walking. And that's another thing I'll mention is even though it was a rolling, staggered start, you were never out there alone. It was still running with a bunch of runners. Yeah, that's that's always so much better. Yeah. So when I cross the finish line, which I'll back up, when you make that right onto, is it Hereford? How do you say that? Hereford. Yeah. When you make that right on Hereford, of course, the blue line was already back by then. I thought, well, I don't care if it's a tangent or not. This is Boston. I'm running on this blue line. So I thought, I'm going to kick it in and stay on this blue line. Well, 
I mean, I wasn't speeding up because I just couldn't speed up, but I make the ride onto Hereford, and I mean, the crowd must have been stacked six or seven people deep, and it was extremely loud. And then you make that infamous... <laughs> left. Yeah. The infamous left on Boylston. <laughs> you okay? <laughs> That's ridiculous. This was a big goal for you. <laughs> and so I'll back up a minute. When you're heading into Boston, you pass Boston College. And I thought the crowd there was at least as big and maybe louder than the Scream Tunnel. There were so many college kids out there and fans out there. Boston College was pretty cool coming in. And then that's the area where you start really seeing the sit-go sign. And I thought you got to make the right-hand turn at the sit-go sign. So I was really surprised when I had to run past the sit-go sign. The sit-go sign is about one mile from the finish. Yeah, which was supposed to be my fastest mile, but oh, the quads just weren't going. So anyway, get to the end of Hereford, which by the way is is another slight but uphill. Then you make that (laughs) left turn and you can see the finish line, but it must be, I don't know, 600 meters away or so. That would be my guess. Because... My little legs are just a-churning down those blue lines, and I had to veer off the blue lines several times because there were still a lot of people walking at this point, and I just... Do you think they were walking because they were soaking up the moment, or do you think they were just out of gas? I think it was people who probably were not meeting their time goals anyway, and so they were just soaking it in. But it was a rather humid day, and there were a lot of people along the side of the road stretching out cramps and having a hard time. So I'm sure it was a combination of soaking it up and dealing with some discomfort. Yeah. It's the longest finish line shoot you'll ever, I guess it's not really the shoot, it's the longest finish line I've ever run. You can just see it and think you're almost there, and you're not. It's like walking to that pier down the beach, it looks a lot closer than it really is. Oh, that's a great analogy. And you crossed the finish line. Woohoo! And Bethany was there with you, and she FaceTimed me. And so, although I wasn't in Boston, my face was in Boston <laughs> on Bethany's phone, and I was able to see you as you were walking after the finish line. And I saw them put your medal on, and... I started tearing up. I was so happy for you after you had accomplished such a big goal. Yeah. And then we were both crying like babies. (laughs) But it is, you know, it is. Well, first of all, on a previous podcast, you had mentioned that when I got to the sit-go sign, I was going to be sad because it was almost over. And I said at that time that I was never sad that a marathon was almost over and that if I was sad... At that point, then we would call this the grandchild of marathons. I loved everything about Boston, and it is as amazing as everyone has said. A lot of times if there's hype around something and the expectation is high, then I experience it. I'm like, eh, what's everybody like about that? That was not Boston. It was amazing from start to finish. But when I got to that sit-go sign... I was still ready for the, for the marathon to be over, so I guess it does not gain 
grandchild status. Okay. <laughs> but now, I mean, here's the problem. Now that I've run it, guess what I want to do? What do you want to do? I want to race it. Mm. I want to train for it on heels and see what I can do on that course. That was my experience after my first Boston is I wasn't pleased with my results. It was unfinished business. So when you were at the first time, do you remember what your time was? It was 2.58. And then the second time? 2.51 or 2.52. Yeah, so you shaved off a little bit. Yeah. I think I could shave off 20 minutes from what I did. But I wasn't trained, and you had kind of cautioned me not to go hog wild in this one, to live to race another day. you got another race in February. I do. So I want to go to another part of your trip before we bring this podcast to a close. So you and Bethany, you went to Wahlburgers for lunch. <laughs> we we went to Wahlburgers, and I'll say lunch, but... Um, the race didn't start until almost 11 o'clock. So by the time I raced, got back to the hotel, took my infamous 30-minute shower. I love a really long, warm shower after a race. And then walked a mile to Wahlburgers. It was more like dinner. It's like 4.30 in the evening. So was this before your legs became really sore? Oh, yeah. My legs were feeling pretty good, all things considered. Considering what they felt like running those last six miles they felt really good walking to Wahlburgers while I was at Wahlburgers I think one of the Wahlburger brothers brought me a Boston Marathon what is it Samuel Adams cup and they brought it to me empty because a glass a glass yes I don't drink but it was a really cute glass and it had the 125th Boston Marathon logo on it So I got back to the hotel and I wrapped it up really nicely in a shirt, hoping that it wouldn't break in transport. (laughs) And then... And it made it home okay? I have no idea because I took all the clothes in my suitcase and put them in the laundry and I washed them, including my glass. So, oh well, no Samuel Adams glass as a souvenir, but that's okay. But you got some cool merchandise at the expo. I did. I bought a hat, and I had bought a jacket in advance, and then the shirt that you get for running Boston's really nice. So, and the medal is about two or three times the size of some of the medals you have from Boston. Yeah, I'm a little envious. Your medal is a lot bigger than my medal. And it's gold instead of silver. Mm-hmm. When Special. I was when I was walking back to the hotel from the train, a guy stopped. Bethany and me, and said, did you win? (laughs) I said, no. And he said, oh, did everybody get a medal like that? And I was thinking, yes, everybody gets a trophy. (laughs) My response would have been, everybody's a winner. (laughs) He was being nice. I'm glad you had a great experience. You accomplished a huge goal, a goal that many people have, and some people never get to achieve that goal but over a lot of years and a lot of work and a lot of God's blessing you can mark this one off the list yeah and we've talked about this before but I think this is what makes us a dynamic coaching team is that when you ran a marathon you qualified for Boston and didn't even know the standard like you had a cushion of I don't know 30 minutes or so for your age group and you know you're just been a lifelong runner and 
very gifted runner. And so your goals have been far more than qualifying for Boston. And then for me, having started later at age 43 and starting, you know, at a marathon finish that would make me 30 or 40 minutes too slow to qualify for Boston, to working hard and getting faster and learning to become a runner as an adult, I think our two perspectives really give us good insight into how to help so many different types of athletes. So that's a blessing. Yeah. And your story of being a new runner and improving, overcoming the adversity of a broken leg, and then consistently training, consistently improving, seeing incremental gains, and then finally getting there. It's just encouraging for all athletes that if you're patient and consistent, if you can stay healthy, stay motivated, there's really no limit to what you can do. Yeah, and for me, it was an eight-year journey. So we don't sign athletes on and say, hey, if we coach you, you'll qualify for Boston in six months. Like, it's just not like that. We like to meet our athletes where they are, whether or not they're already faster than BQ marathoners or if they're just beginning or if they've been running a while and nowhere close to it. Like, it's really not a matter of, am I going to qualify? It's a matter of, am I going to become a better person? Am I going to become a better athlete? Am I improving week over week, month over month, year over year? And the good news is, we both have qualifying times for Boston 2022. And registration opens in less than three weeks. So we'll find out whether or not our times are good enough. Hopefully our times will be good enough. We'll be able to train well between now and then. And I'll be able to run with you and pace you and help you get whatever time you're looking for. Let's do it. And I want to take a few selfies along the way too. So I'm going to race and be taking selfies? I'm going to be the photographer. (laughs) You're going to be focused on your race. Gotcha. So here's a scripture today that I would like to share. It's from Psalm 51, verses 15 through 17. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. I like it. And can I add one more thing? Please. I would like to dedicate this podcast to Kelly Powers because A, nobody loves the Boston Marathon more than her. B, she was in my running squad way back in 2013 when we all started chasing the Boston dream. And she's worked diligently and was the first of us to toe the line in that squad. And then finally, because just yesterday, her amazing father passed away and just really want to keep her in our thoughts and prayers this week as they face visitation and funeral and all the hard things. Yeah, good idea. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website 
ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.